Panda acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we work and live. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. Today's episode was produced on the lands of the Ghana, Gadigal, Wurundjeri, Jagara, Yagara and Yugarapul peoples. The first time around was particularly hard with, um, you know, just the difficult labour. But I think if I hadn't gone through the confinement period, it would have been a lot tougher. I think mentally, mentally it's always tough, <laughs> even with confinement. But I do think that um, having that extra support is has been, was really beneficial because I, I just can't imagine how I would have done it without the help of my parents and husband and you know, um, grandma, um, you know, I, I do, I really don't know how people like bounce back and they go out after a week. And I, I just, it, I, it, I couldn't even fathom that. So, um, I think it was, it was positive in both mental and physical aspects. That first month after you give birth is a steep learning curve. And for most of us, we're trying to learn the lessons of new parenthood while in a state of mental and physical shock. It's a time when there's lots of focus on your baby, and sometimes it's at the expense of you as a new mum. But in many Asian countries, they look at this time differently, and over thousands of years have built a cultural practice around new mothers known as postpartum confinement, or sitting the month. What it looks like changes slightly from culture to culture, but broadly it involves rallying around a mum who's just given birth to make sure that not only the baby is safe and cared for, but the mum has everything she needs to recover as well. I'm Gia, and this is Survive and Thrive, a podcast from Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. You probably know them as Panda. You're about to hear how the practice of confinement in Australia has evolved over time and is still helping women transition into motherhood. Melissa was born in Malaysia, but has lived in Melbourne since she was a kid. When she became a mum herself... Confinement seemed like a natural thing for her to do. It wasn't so much a decision as it was like my mum was like, "Okay, you need to do confinement. You know, we'll get, we'll organise the food for you and everything." So I was just, I just went with the flow because I wasn't going to turn down, you know, getting fed and not having to cook any of my meals and not having to like do any cleaning. So to me, it sounded like a pretty good deal. So I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll try this confinement." Definitely. Um, I guess you. <laughs> I wouldn't want to turn that down really, either. <laughs> I know. I guess the only tricky thing was that there were there are some quite strict rules about confinement that I was quite skeptical about. Like, for example, not showering or having like a, a normal bath for the thirty days. Um, not washing your hair. So that was kind of like I don't know how I'm going to spend thirty days without washing my hair. Um, so there were some things I was like, I'm not sure how I'm going to go with this. Yeah, I don't know how I'd go not washing my hair for a month either. Now, what does confinement, the practice, look like in Malaysia? I understand it's different in different countries. Yeah, so back in Malaysia, there are people who dedicate their whole careers to um, doing confinement. The confinement industry is pretty big. So there'll be people that literally just come into your house and live there for 30 or 40 days or however long the confinement period is um, for that particular family. 
Um, in most instances, it's 30 days, but yeah, people will actually come. There'll be a woman who comes into your house, lives with you, cooks for you, cleans for you, does everything so that the mother can actually rest. Yeah, right. So apart from the the different changes in food, um, you said you couldn't bath or shower or wash your hair, um, go outside. What were the the main other other things, I guess? Obviously, every confinement looks a little bit different. I feel like I did a fairly uh, relaxed or hybrid model of confinement because I think the first time I did actually wash my hair because I just couldn't take 30 days. Second time I did actually go through 30 days. Um, but those are the main things, like no going outside, not even like opening your door because we have a balcony in our apartment and we open the door and you can have wind. So you don't want wind to go through your body. You don't want any cooling, you know, cold properties to be in your body. So no air conditioning, um, yeah, no, no, you know, being outdoors um, at all. So you have to stay inside, you have to keep warm, um, no visitors. So besides close like family, immediate family, we don't have visitors visiting the house um, within that 30-day period. And I guess that a lot of the time is for, you know, focusing on the health of the mother and the baby. And so, yeah, that I would say those were other kind of main things that at least I adhered to. Um, I can't speak to everyone's confinement uh, experience because, again, like it's some, you know, some people adhere to a, a higher level of <laughs> A strictness of confinement than others. But um, yeah, that was sort of what I did. What type of foods did you have to eat? What were what was on the on the menu most days? We went through a company that do a lot of the prepackaged foods. So what that looked like was it was rice, it was a soup every day, well, every meal, and then a protein, usually pork, chicken, um, fish. And, and then lots of teas. So basically the foods that I was eating was very heaty. So what that kind of means um, from a Chinese medicine point of view is that um, heaty foods kind of expel like toxins, expel wind from your body. So all those foods that you eat um, are kind of have that heaty property. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it looked like. It was a lot of, a lot of protein and carbs and and soups um, and teas because I couldn't have regular water. Take us back to your first child. Can you talk us through exactly what that first month looked like for you? The first month honestly was a real blur. I think um, because it, I, I had a natural birth, which was fairly traumatic in my experience. Like uh, it was a, I, it was a, not a very long labor, 10 hours. And then I had an episiotomy and his shoulder got stuck. And when he came out, he wasn't fully breathing. And, and I just had a really hard time healing because of the, the tearing. So, um, for me, that first month was, was now that I look back at it, it was almost quite, it went really fast and it was quite a blur, but I did think that having the support with, you know, my parents, my grandma, who did pretty much all the cooking, um, helped a lot with my healing. Because it was, I found it really tough, yeah. the first one. Yeah, definitely. And what was the hospital like where you gave birth? Were they accommodating? They were quite accommodating in the sense that, um, you know, obviously there are visiting hours for, uh, yeah, visitors. And because I couldn't eat any of the hospital food, I had to have food brought in every day, multiple times a day, because it had to be freshly cooked. Um, my parents would have to sneak in at all hours of the night. <laughs> so 
they managed to get in and um, the hospital didn't give me a hard time about it because obviously, you know, I have to eat and I couldn't eat any of the hospital food because you have to, you know, when you're doing confinement period, which starts from after you give birth, you, it starts from day one, you can only eat a certain like set diet, you know. So um, I wasn't eating any of the food at the hospital. My husband was eating all that. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the the biggest positives of confinement as a first-time mum? For me, it was um, just having everything done for me because it was so overwhelming, like all the new things I had to learn, like learning how to breastfeed and looking after this, you know, newborn who was completely dependent on you, like constantly crying. So for me, it was just that level of care. Sounds like it would be quite, obviously I haven't been through confinement myself, but to have someone there all the time would be quite reassuring, especially in those yeah, early hours of the morning when baby's crying and you don't know what to do, to have someone there, um, yeah, might be might be really reassuring. Definitely. That's why I, I could definitely see why some people in Australia, like they bring people in from overseas to come and stay and do it because if you don't have family here, it can be really hard because you wouldn't necessarily know uh, what to do. So I think that's why probably not as many people do it uh, here. Melissa, what were some of the biggest challenges for you during confinement? Well, I think it's, I mean, I think probably when you get to about week four, it does start to feel like home arrest, you know, <laughs> which is, yeah, because you, you're going to get sick of the food after a while because you are going, you're just basically, it's basically not eating any vegetables or fruit or anything like that. So you kind of start getting, at least I felt like I was I was ready to, <laughs> to eat some of the normal foods that I eat um, and just go outside again. The first few weeks, you know, you're not, you're not really feeling that, but when you get towards the end, you, you start feeling a bit, you know, stir crazy, just staying inside all day. Overall, how do you think confinement impacted your mental health? Would you say overall it was a very positive experience for you? Yeah, I think it was a positive experience. I mean, I wouldn't have done it the second time around if I hadn't had a good first experience. So I was like, cause I didn't really know too much about it before I went into it the first time. So after the first time, um, I could definitely notice a positive physical change to my body. Like I had, I felt like I had more energy back and I just was able to heal a bit better because like I said, the first time around was particularly hard with, um, you know, this, the difficult labor, but I think if I hadn't gone through the confinement period, it would have been a lot tougher. I think mentally, mentally it's always tough, <laughs> even with confinement. But I do think that um, having that extra support is as bit was really beneficial because I just I just can't imagine how I would have done it without the help of my parents and husband and you know um, grandma. Um, you know, I I did I really don't know how people like bounce back and they go out after a week. And I, I just, it, I, it, I couldn't even fathom that. So um, I think it was, it was positive in both mental and physical aspects. 10 years ago, Eric Cheng and his wife, Annie, watched as their friends started families in Sydney. Lots of them wanted to practice sitting the month, but they found it difficult to observe without family close by. So with their backgrounds as Chinese medicine practitioners, they started their own business, helping new parents adapt confinement to their circumstances. Some of the mums know that uh, they've used Chinese medicine before, 
and they're looking for someone that can fit their need without having to leave home. So what we do essentially in our business, we provide Chinese medicine care at the comfort of the mom's home. And then there's the, I guess there's the other category of parents that come to us. Um, they want to practice confinement in some way or form, but they are either um, finding it difficult to find the help that they want, or they're very unsure about what is helpful for them. So they come to us and kind of try and find out what we do or what may be helpful to their situation. And we also make it a task of mine to help them navigate what things are helpful for them and what things are realistic uh, for their situation and what might be something that they will have to maybe let go. And uh, because it's, it's just maybe a bit too difficult to attain. Growing up, when did you first learn about postpartum confinement? I remember my parents being given this red eggs. So they, they basically boiled chicken eggs uh, with the shells taken out. Um, that's been dipped in red dye. And when we get them, I know that it's because a family friend or relatives has given birth and their newborn has turned one month old. But then it's actually much later in life when I started to cross paths with people who are entering motherhood or um, that I was like starting to become aware of how big of a thing this confinement is, especially for, for new mothers and, and those that are like immediately around them. And, and I dare say that like my experience is reflected in most of the mothers that's entering motherhood in recent decades. Like we know that there's a concept of confinement out there. We've heard a thing or two about it, but we don't realize how big of a thing it is until someone we know well or we ourselves become expecting parents. So there seems to be a little bit of contention about the actual word confinement. Why is that, do you think? And where does it come from? Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange word. So in Hong Kong, where I grew up, if someone wanted to talk about this special time period after mom's just given birth, they use a Chinese word for it. It's, um, it's a combination of two words. It's mun yu. The first word is, it's mu, oh, sorry, it's chuo yu. The first word means sitting and the second word means month. So sitting month is the word to word translation, but everybody knows the combination of these two words together has the special meaning of the, like the time after you give birth where you rest and don't go out. But it wasn't until when I met my wife, uh, who's of a Singapore Malaysian background that she introduced me to the word confinement. And I was a bit shocked because maybe like a lot of our listeners, confinement, maybe you think about solitary confinement in jail or someone kept in confinement against their will in cases of kidnapping or crime fiction. So to me, it's like, why would you use that word for this precious time in your life? But to my surprise, the English language actually used this word. So yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that this word's like been carried forward in history, but it is what it is. And a lot of people keep using this word. And But but yeah, correctly or incorrectly, there, there are a lot of positive that comes with this concept. Do you see any barriers for women here in Australia trying to practice confinement if they perhaps don't have family living here in Australia? Are you saying that they look at other ways of still undertaking the practice, like hiring help or using meal delivery services, that sort of a thing? Um, having family that you know and trust are so helpful during confinement. But yeah, as you said, a lot of people, especially a lot of the people we um, we we work 
um, with, don't have that access because the parents are overseas. And there are extra barriers. The, the biggest one, I guess, is the task that has to be done, like um, helping with cooking, um, maybe the extra hand hold the baby when the mum needs a little bit of rest. And there's also that's, and there's also the, the family knowledge about what to do with food, how to cook food and how to care for a newborn. So a lot of, especially a lot of the mums, I guess it's the biggest, the mum that worries the most are the mums are having their first child. So on top of adjusting to life, they also feel a lot of insecurities about how to um, handle or bathe or just feed or sleep a newborn. So yeah, without the family around this, this feel like there's a lot, lack of that knowledge being passed through. But then at the same time, there are a lot of benefits being the society today where a mum can, like you said, access a lot of additional support that wasn't there like even maybe 10 years ago. And in terms of other things, there's um, grocery delivery is also a fantastic thing at the moment, which wasn't available not too long ago. And um, there's also a lot of access to, um, especially in Australia, there's a lot of access to um, network or community groups or information groups, even like Panda, for example, where you can access a lot of information to get that support. And just because your family can't be there to give you that support, there are new avenues for you to find additional support as well. And some people do forget that um, with the Asian way of doing confinement, there's a lot of focus on the first month or for some people, the first up to three months of support. Um, sometimes they get this kind of like a cliche where they fall at the end of that support and uh, suddenly, because there's a definitive end to some, to some of the way some cultures practice it. Like after one month, we have a big party that's the end of it. And then people kind of stop seeing you as the new mom that needs support. And then suddenly they were like, what do I do now? Especially for the moms that got very kind of extensive type of support where it's like someone would bath the baby for them. And then they suddenly realize I don't have the confidence to do it. So, so it goes both ways. So there's good, really good things about it, but if it's not um, kind of done in a very thoughtful, planned out way, sometimes it works um, to the negative as well. So it sounds like trying to do as much as you can, but what what works for your your lifestyle as well? Yeah, so we do caution. Um, I guess I, I personally caution against doing something that's too fastly different to what can be sustained by you in the long run. So just I guess everyone has, should be aware that's yeah, all mums are the same at some point in some ways that like all parents, not just mums actually for dads as well, that there's a big learning curve and we all have to meet it and it's going to be challenging for all. What did confinement look like for your wife? I think we've already been working this area for five years and then we've had our, we were, we had our own child. So we went in with a pretty um, kind of developed idea of how we think confinement's best practice. So we did the way where we feel like we make a lot of decisions about how we want to do confinement. And we had kind of a few guiding principles in um, that it should maximize the opportunity for, for my wife, Annie, to rest. And there's also a strong focus in avoiding anything that might risk putting her into picking up something infectious like the cold and the flu. COVID wasn't around at the time, but this concept was quite strong in confinement, the Asian style, in avoiding people with the tension of not getting sick. So we kind of chose to do confinement around that way. I guess traditionally, a lot of Asian people would choose to, um, would decide not to go out during that first um, month 
Um, but for us, we kind of chose around when we decide it's a good time. So on a beautiful day, like it is in Sydney for me at the moment, it's nice and warm under the sun. There's not too much wind. And if we're going out to a park or something where there's not a lot of people, we'd say that's a good time to go out. So we did go out during days like today, and then we go out and push the pram or hold the baby and spend the time outside. And um, we also choose to eat our food with a bit of kind of consideration in how we do it. Yeah, just intentional in making sure it's a nice balanced meal. In Chinese medicine, we talk a lot about um, cook, like eating food that's warm and cooked because it's easier for your body to digest and therefore take the nourishment from it. So we focused on doing that. In my experience, the way we did it, I, I found it quite joyful time. Like I felt like we did it in a way that gave us the space to enjoy one another because uh, I guess we've got the focus that there's a lot of focus placed on the newborn, but at the same time, you should also intentionally focus on your relationship as a husband and a wife as well. So kind of like choosing, deliberately choosing what we think is important and what are some things that we will just do as normal is helpful in giving us that time in the space to enjoy time with each other. And there's also some joy, I guess, in the feeling that you can make your own decision about what's helpful to you. So we, we did a lot of things that are like, kind of like by the book, like we chose to stay home most of the time. We avoided face-to-face -face contact with people. So we cut back on, uh, on almost all of our like face-to-face -face, um, interaction with people we used to meet up with weekly. But at the same time, we would go outside if the weather is um, appropriate. And then we joke about it sometimes. There was a time in that confinement time when we decided it would be a good idea on that day to go and do drive-through and get some fast food which to a lot of people is a no, no, you can't eat fast food. But we did because at that point, we felt that something that would support us, something that would just brighten up our day for just for that moment. So yeah, we just chose what to do with what we think would be helpful for us. And so it was a lot of joy. And I guess there was also a sense of empowerment that we can make that choice, especially for, for any that we didn't have that pressure of like, you can't do this, you can't do that, where she feel empowered to have that choice. And being able to talk together and kind of like, okay, if we do this. Can we avoid something like that? There's a sense of like, not a game playing, but there's a sense of play in it, a little challenge that we face, something to like break up the daily too. <laughs> yeah. Eric, how do you think a mother's mental health is impacted during or after confinement? I guess confinement is a time when there's a lot of focus um, put on the mum's well-being whether it's um, biological uh, well-being and also our uh, mental well-being. So, so it is, yeah, it's, it's very empowering for the mum to know that she's loved and not just to carry through the pregnancy, but also to acknowledging that her health is also important for the well-being of the child. So it doesn't end the moment that you give birth, but that the role of the mum is important and ongoing. And it's also a time for, for mums to uh, feel loved, I guess. Um, the attention they get, the well wishes they are uh, they sent. So yeah, it's I guess it's just, it's helpful for them to know that they're loved, and it's also a time when, uh, for some mothers, they they uh, I guess their wishes are quite well respected. So if they ask for something, um, and, and people acknowledge it in that time, like it, it's kind of go with expectation. If you tell people I am uh, sitting through this month, then people would know that you need a lot of private time 
to spend exclusively with your well-being and to bond with your newborn. So, so there's the, the good positives there. Unfortunately, though, for some mother, this can be a time for disempowerment because um, they are given a prescriptive way to do confinement. Then it becomes a time when they have no choice over what they do. They have to eat the food that was given to them. They have to bath or not bath on certain times. And so unfortunately, we do see um, for some cultural groups that this is a time when it's not so good for the mental well-being of the mother. And there has been research that has um, associated certain cultural confinement to a drop in mental well-being during this time. So it's, I guess it's important for us to acknowledge it. For Melissa, confinement was also a beautiful bonding experience with her own mother and grandmother. I think becoming a mother, you just realise how much your mother did for you um, and how how tough it must have been. Um, and I think you appreciate their what they've done for you a bit more because you've now had that same experience or, you know, of having kids. Um, I do think it makes you in a way, like it made me closer to my mom, I think, having kids because, because of that. And I think I had to mature a lot, you know. I don't think you ever can be kind of ready to be a mother, but once you kind of are and take on that extra responsibility, I think that does force you to um, kind of grow up a little bit and, and, and so I think that did bring us closer and, and made, it made me really grateful for everything they did because now, you know, seeing how hard it is with two, I'm just kind of like, I don't know how you, how they did it. And they had so much less support as well. So yeah, it's, that's probably how it's, how it's changed our relationship. Like we're, we're probably closer than we were before. I think that it, it's great to see more people, I, I mean, talking, like the fact that you've come and reached out to me to talk about confinement, I think is great because I think that it would be really good. I don't think you necessarily have to be from, you know, a Chinese, Malaysian background to to uh, implement some of these confinement practices. I think that anyone can do it. So I think, you know, it it's good that more information's out there because, I do think that a lot of people could benefit from some of these practices. Um, it's just that I suppose it's not really talked about too much outside my own cultural background. So, you know, I think that if people maybe knew how to do it or there was more education around it, people could actually look at, at again, just implementing even a few things from it to actually help them with that initial period that's quite stressful and challenging at times. And I don't think we necessarily have to follow it super strictly because I do think that every little bit helps. So I think that we do need to give ourselves a little bit of grace and, you know, just do what we can. Like if we can't, if we need to wash our hair, we just have to wash our hair. If we need to take a bath, it's it's fine. You can take a bath. <laughs> That's such great advice, Melissa. And thank you for being so honest and sharing your story with us. Before we finish up, I want to ask you, what is the most joyful part of being a parent? I still need to think about this one. <laughs> what is the most joyful part of parenting? What makes it all worth it in the end? Yeah. It is really hard to have kids and I think that as they've gotten a bit older and being able to interact with them and, you know, have conversations with them has been really joyful. Um, even just 
you know, sometimes I like to, to watch them when they're asleep because they're so peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> Survive and Thrive is a podcast from Panda, perinatal anxiety and depression Australia, an accredited mental health service. You'll find all the links and information you need in the episode notes, wherever you're listening. But just a reminder, if you are a new or expecting parent, you can call Panda's free national helpline from Monday to Saturday on 1300 726 306. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you're in a life-threatening emergency, call 000. The experts featured on this Survive and Thrive podcast are not Panda clinicians, but valued partners. Any opinions and advice is their own and not representing Panda. Panda recognises the individual and collective contributions of people with a lived or living experience of mental health issues, their families, loved ones and supporters. Every story informs how we care for people and their community. Survive and Thrive is produced by Deadset Studios for Panda, Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. Don't forget there are lots more episodes in your podcast feed, so hit follow in your favourite podcast app.